So have you ever been in a situation where you're wondering what God's doing? You wonder if he cares. You wonder if he's there. You're not sure if he even loves you. Um, you go through those difficult times, and they're dark times in your life. They're difficult times. And you say, well, where is God? Where, where is he? And in, what, in this series, what, we, what I want to do is I want to go through the book of Psalms because the book of Psalms is, is a book that's filled with people, uh, people like you and me, who are struggling, who are going through difficult times, and they don't know what to do. And, you know, this isn't going to be one of those things where we're going to go through, we're going to point out a problem, like, for instance, this week, and we're going to talk about being outnumbered. Have you ever felt outnumbered? Like everyone is against you. You know, I remember as a kid raising my kids, you know, the, the line you would bring out is, everyone's against me. But that's true. Sometimes in life you feel like everyone's against you. Like the, the odds aren't for you that you're outnumbered and, and you, you wonder what you're going to do. And you know what? We're not going to give Pat easy answers. We're not going to say, okay, we're going to solve your problems. But we're going to go in and we're going to dive into these psalms. And we're going to look at them. And we're going to find what did the psalmist... Because the, the thing that you'll read through these psalms many times is you'll see the psalmist coming in with all the emotions and all the struggles, with all the questions. And, 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 and there's a kind of a transformation that takes place in the midst of the psalm. And they maybe haven't resolved the issue or the problem but they found hope, and they found God, and they found strength, and they found courage, and they found all those things. And that's what I want us to do. I want us to, to go to these Psalms and just spend some time. And it may be that you're going to go through this and this series of messages. And you, one of those Psalms is going to speak to your heart more than any other. But I don't know where you're at, but i get, I got to believe that in a crowd like this, that uh, you're going you're to be touched. And the Spirit of God is going to speak to your, into your life and into your heart because we all go through those difficult times. Um, so the psalm we're going to look at this, this weekend is Psalm 3. Now, when you think of David, and maybe you don't know who David was, David was probably one of the top kings in the nation of Israel. Top three, maybe the top king of all. I mean, it was said of David, he was a man after God's own heart. I mean, come on, can you, you can't really beat that. I mean, you, you got to go a long ways to do better than that. A man after God's own heart. And that's David, right? And uh, Psalm 3 is a psalm of David. But it's an interesting psalm of David uh, because he was a great leader. He was a man after God's own heart. But he also was a man who had major character flaws and and. You know, you read some of the stories about David and you go, wow, man, this guy was crazy. I mean, some of the stuff he got himself into, it's unbelievable. And, and what I want you to see as we talk about David for a little bit is that he was an imperfect man, but he was loved by God. He was an imperfect man, but he was loved by God. And this is really an important principle just to stop and talk about for just a little bit. Because um, we often think that if we're going to reach God, we have to be perfect. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that you don't measure up? That you're not what God wants you to be? That you fall short? That you really aren't doing as good as you should be doing? And you think that God is looking down and he's really kind of got this, you know, this frown on his face or maybe an angry look on his face. And he's looking at you. And you go, man, I don't know what to do. And, 
And people all the time, when, they, when I talk to them, they feel like, I just don't measure up. I just don't know what to do. I, I, I'm overwhelmed. I, I'm outnumbered. I don't know. And, and I just, at, at some point, I go, yeah, I get it. I get it. Because you'll never measure up. Some people have come to a place in their life where they said, I just give up. I just can't please God. There's nothing I can do to please Him. And I'm so far behind, I just don't even know where to start. So why even bother? Why even try? My hope is, though, that this series, in this series, we'll see people who are loved by God, but they still struggle, they still suffer. And what I want you to see is that David was an imperfect person. Absolutely imperfect. We'll see more about that in a minute. But you know what? He was still loved by God. Because God doesn't love us based upon our performance. Can I say that one more time? And maybe you'll hear it the second time. God doesn't love you based upon your performance. And if you're a good parent, think about that. Do you love your kids based upon how they do as a kid? Do you say, well, I love you more because you're a better child than this one? Do you do that with your kids? Say, well, I love you more because you're more obedient. (laughs) It may make life easier for you, but you don't love them more. So if you're an imperfect parent and God is like 5,000 times better than you as a parent, wouldn't it make sense that God probably doesn't treat us that way? And so the enemy wants us to believe that God loves you based upon how good you are, how good you perform, or what, and and that is a lie from the pit. God just plain loves you. So we're going to look this weekend at the psalm in a a time of David's life when he's not doing well. He's on the run. He is being pursued. He is like getting, he's getting chased. And he's, you know, he's got, he says, I have enemies all around me. And the interesting thing is the enemies that are all around him is his son, Absalom. And, 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 and he's, he's, the historical context is, I think, it's, it's when Absalom, his son, is trying to usurp the throne. He's trying to take over his dad's kingdom. And, and David gets wind of it. David hears about it. There's a coup. And it's your son. And he's trying to take things over. And, you know, it, it's going to happen pretty quick. And if you want to see that, turn over for a moment to Second Samuel chapter 15. And if you don't have a Bible... We have chair Bibles, and you can turn there. I think we have the page numbers. But let me just read this so you get the historical context, and then we'll go to Psalm 6 so you can see kind of what's going on with David. So Psalm, uh, for excuse me, 2 Samuel 15, verse 13. Let me read it to you. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom, and Absalom was David's son. Then David said to all the officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly and overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. David says, we've got to get out of here because he's going to kill us. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Can you imagine having to run as the king of a, of a, of a nation from your own son? Your own son wants to kill you. I mean, can you imagine that? Well, let's look at Psalm 2. So this is the context. David is being pursued by his son, I think, Absalom. And this is the context. So Psalm 3. It says, uh, and, and the first part is a commentary 
on the context of what many what uh, the writers uh, thought the psalm was. A psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Now here's the psalm, verse 1. Lord, how many are of your foes? How many, uh, uh, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord. Deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the joy. Break the, break the teeth of the wicked. For the, from the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Let me just give you a quick outline. Because I'm going to make an assumption here that not all of you know the story of David. Maybe you know that he was a king in the nation of Israel. He was, he was uh, uh, the second king of the nation of Israel. But he began as a shepherd boy. He was the youngest, and he had older brothers of, of the house of Jesse. Jesse was his father. He had many brothers. And uh, one, one day the prophet came to look for the next king, to anoint the next king. And they went through all the sons of Jesse. And <laughs> the prophet says, well, wait a minute. God says, they're, they're not here, even though they're, they're all good-looking and strong and, like, kingly-looking. And he says, no, he's not here. And so he says, well, the father says, well, there is this, the, the boy out in the field taking care of the sheep, you know, the lowliest job. And he says, well, bring him in. And sure enough, God says, yes, that's him. So he began as a shepherd boy, working, working in the fields. And, and that was great because it taught him how to shepherd a flock. Because he was going to be a shepherd of a bigger flock. He was going to be a leader of a nation. He was going to be the king. So he started out as a leader, uh, leading sheep. And uh, remember the story, the famous story where David uh, visits the battlefield. And, and the Philistines are on one side of the hill. And the, the nation of Israel is on the other side. And, and the, the nation of Israel is petrified. Because this great warrior from the Philistines comes out every day. And, and, and basically... Uh, comes out and throws a challenge down and says, send your best warrior out. I'll kill him. I'll kill him. Send him out. Come on. Send out your warrior. And David comes and he hears this man. He blasphemes their God. He mocks them. And, and, and no one will stand up and no one will go out there. Now King Saul should have been the battle out there in the battle. He should have gone out there. But he was afraid too. And this boy, David, goes out there. You, you've heard the story. He goes out there with his his stones and his sling. And, and he puts one right between the eyes. The giant comes down and David hacks his head off. And he doesn't become the king then. He doesn't come. After a while, he goes in and he ministers to Saul who begins to have these, these psychotic disconnects. And uh, at one point, tries to kill David. So David's on the run from the king. But then over time, David comes to the realm to become the king. And he becomes a great king, and the people love David. And David's kingdom prospers. And he, and, he, and he has a heart after God, and he's a great leader. And he's doing a great job. But then, as David gets older, as David should have kept his eye on the Lord, what often happens is we get caught up in the mundane things of life. And David, is instead of being out with his armies on the battlefield, he's back at the palace and he goes up on the roof one day and he sees this beautiful woman who is bathing. He, he lusts for her. He calls her in. He has sex with this woman who is married to 
to a soldier who's out in the field. Um, shortly after that, she calls, sends him a message, says, I'm pregnant with your son. So David has to come up with a plan to conceal it. He, he calls this uh, soldier to come back. He calls his commander to send his soldier back. The soldier comes back and David says, you're doing a great job out there. I think you should spend some time with your wife. He wants him to cover it up. And so uh, this soldier has so much virtue and integrity. He says, how can, I, how can I be with my wife when my brothers are out in the field and they're in the battle? And he says, I can't do it. So he, he, he won't do it. And David finally sends this man back with orders to his commander. And he says, send him into the, the heat of the battle. And when the heat of the battle comes, when you're we're going against the walls, when you're fighting against the walls, give the order and pull back. Of course, this commander knows something's going on. And so he does it anyways. He follows orders. The battle gets heated. This soldier goes in and the, the call is given and everyone else but him pulls back. And he's left like a lamb to the slaughter. And he's immediately killed. And uh, David thinks he's gotten away with it. But he hasn't gotten away with it. Don't have time to go in the story. But David's sin is found out. You can read about it in one of the Psalms. Uh, David read, writes about his confession uh, in that. But his life, the wheels of his life begin to come off at that point. Um, David's not really a good father. He hasn't been a good father and we'll see that's going to play into what's going on. That's really kind of what, what he's struggling with right now with Absalom. But that's kind of an outline of David's life. Um, he failed his children. And in the psalm, his world is really beginning to crumble. His kingdom is coming to an end. And, and there's really some real issues going on here. A lot of the, the cracks, the faults that he's had in his life now are coming. And they're, pay, they're ask, they're you know, that's what happens. Sin when it's left, when it's not dealt with, it, it grows and it cracks. And there's a day where there's going to be a call for the payment. And David, David is, is coming to that day. He says a few things in the psalm. And I just want to focus on four of them. The first thing he says is this. How many are my foes? How many are my foes? Now, he has foes and he has a lot of foes. First, he has an army that's pursuing him. This is the same army that, used to, that would die for him, that he used to lead. The army that he used to command now is now coming after him. They're pursuing him. They're looking to get him. So he has a whole army against him. This army that used to love him and follow him now is coming after him. He's lost his throne, and, they're, and now he's no longer their commander. They're pursuing him. But not only that, the people have rejected him. Did you see that in there? It says, God will not deliver him. That's the murmur of the people. So he used to have the people's heart. He used to love, the people used to love him. And, and basically now they're saying, God won't deliver him. God won't. God is not on his side. He's cursed of God. God doesn't love him. And so now the people who used to love David, they don't love people, David anymore. They love his son Absalom. Absalom has won their hearts. You saw that in there. The people question whether he's even a good king. Uh, He's he's uh, he's a bum. He's a failure. God will not deliver him. He's lost his very identity. So many times, men find their identity in what they do, what they their profession, their job, that what they can accomplish. And you know, you'll see it all the time. And some some of you men are here, and you have had your 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 manhood challenged. 
because you, you thought you were doing a good job, and your boss calls you and says, you're not doing a good job, you're fired. You say, well, who am I as a person? You lose your identity, because your identity is tied into what you do. And think about this. What's the first thing that a guy does when, after he knows another person's name? Well, with women, what is it? It says, oh, you, you know, you're, you're married, you have, uh, what's the, you, who, who are you, and what's the next thing? Do you have children, right? All right, so what is it with a man? You, you know the name, and then you say, okay, so what do you do? Because that's your identity. And so David has lost his identity. His people no longer respect him. They've rejected him. Not only that, his son is seeking to kill him. His own son, David, uh, is being pursued by his son, who's taken over the kingdom. He's stolen the hearts of the people. He's stolen the army. He's being pursued by his own son. And if you go through 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 15, if you go through 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 15, you can read about how that kind of happened. How that kind of happened. Now I want to stop for just a minute because I think there's an important principle. Now if you're part of our, our growth groups and our small groups, this is going to be one of the questions. And it may be the only question you get around to this weekend. But it's an important one. It's a, kind of a, a parenting uh, moment that I want to just talk about for a minute. So, <clears throat> one of the things that we're encouraging people to do, if you're here on the weekends, we love that you're here on the weekends, but we really want you to be part of a smaller group. We want you, you know, right now you're facing forward, and you're not talking to one another, you're listening, right? But in a small group, you're facing one another, and you're talking about your lives. You're getting to know each other, which is really important. And, and when you're talking and getting to know each other around the Word of God, good things can happen. Now, here's what we're going to do this weekend if you're part of a, a small group, a growth group. And we have these sermon-based ones where we talk about it. We're going to talk about, one of the questions we're going to talk about is this whole idea of parenting. Because there's a principle of parenting uh, that we're going to talk about. Um, I don't know if you know this, but when they train, and they don't, you know, circuses are going to go out of, out of style today because of, for many good reasons. But uh, the bottom line is when they train elephant, elephants, when they take baby elephants, what they want to do is they want to be able to control them because when they're small, they're easier to control than when they get really big, right, and really angry. And so what they used to do, what I guess I don't know if they do it anymore, but they used to take a big heavy rope, they'd put it around the neck of the elephant, and they would tie it to a stake, and they would hammer the stake into the ground. And the elephant, of course, the baby elephant's trying to pull that you know, stake and get the freedom and get, be able to move, but the baby couldn't move, and... So, but, you know, it was big enough to pull the stake, and you basically had to keep hitting the stake and make sure the rope was, was taunt and, you know, tight around their neck, not tight enough to choke them, but enough to restrain them, right? And so whenever they moved to a new location, they would do the same thing, put the rope around the neck, put the stake down, hammer the stake down, and then make sure the stake is secure. You had to make sure the stake was secure. So as this baby elephant grows up, when it got to be an older elephant, it realized very early on there was a boundary there. There was something it couldn't break. There was a, there was a non-negotiable there. And, and in a sense, you, you kept hammering the stake down because you wanted that little elephant to learn to stay for, this, for their safety and the safety of the people around them. That's what they had to do. So as that elephant got bigger, it got to the point where it learned that lesson so well that they no longer had to put a stake down. They would just put the big rope around the neck. And the elephant had learned, you know, elephant never forgets, right? The elephant had learned that when it had that thing around it, was not, there was no use because the boundary, they thought, was still there. But it was a good boundary for the safety of the elephant and the safety of the people. Here's how that applies to parenting. 
David, and if you read those, through those chapters, and that's kind of where the growth group is going to go this weekend, David had a situation with Absalom where he never put the stake down. He never hammered the stake down. He had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to put the stake in the ground, to, to set boundaries, to be the parent, to step in and do it. Now, here's how it applies to your lives as, 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 as parents. There are times in a parent, as a parent in the life of your kid where you just have to set a boundary. And you have to put a stake down. And you have to say no. And you have to say, this is the way it is. I love you, and I know you don't like this, but we have to put this stake here. We have to put this boundary down. If we don't put this boundary down, we're going to have problems later on in life. And one of the things we're seeing now is we're seeing a whirlwind of kids that are growing up without stakes, without boundaries, without parents who are being loving and firm and secure with their boundaries. And the kids are struggling with that now because they haven't had those boundaries. And they're wreaking havoc on themselves and the people around them. And what I'm telling you is when you're a parent, when the stake is in the ground and they're pulling and it's coming loose, hit the stake. Hit the stake in a loving, firm, compassionate way. Hit the stake. And you know when you have to hit the stake? You have to hit the stake when you're tired. You have to hit the stake when it's inconvenient. You have to hit the stake when you don't want to. You don't have any more energy. Hit the stake. Because if you don't hit the stake, they're going to grow up and they're going to struggle. We're going to talk more about that in the, the growth groups. But what David is reaping right now is he's reaping the problems because with his son Absalom, he had multiple opportunities to put down the stake and hit the stake, and he didn't do it. And now his son is not just seeking to take his kingdom. He's seeking to take his life. And it turns out really bad for David. He was not a good parent because he wasn't willing to hit the stake. So that's the first phrase that David uses. The first phrase is, is basically, uh, how many are my foes? I'm outnumbered. Secondly, he says this. He says, you, Lord, are a shield around me. Now, the Hebrew word he uses for shield is for a small shield. You've seen the small shields. You know, if you've ever seen one of those uh, war uh, movies, the early war movies, they have a a sword in one hand and a shield in another, right? And so the, the shield is to fend off the, the sword of the other person to get the advantage and then hit, the, uh, hit them with the sword. And so that's the Hebrew word for the shield here. But the interesting thing is that the writer of the psalm, basically David, puts in uh, another preposition. And the preposition in the Hebrew is, he, 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 says, he says, you are a sword, small, around me. In other words, he's not talking about a little shield. He's talking about a big shield. He's talking about a huge shield. He's talking about something that will cover you up. And you've seen those too, right? When you've ever seen those movies where they go against the castle and, and they have to, they have, you know, they've got arrows and rocks and, and, and hot, you know, oil coming down on them. What do they do? They have like a big shield over them. They have, and they put their shields together and they, they cover themselves so that the rocks and the arrows and the other things can't get at them, right? And, and that's what David is saying. God, you are, when I'm outnumbered, you're this, this, this body shield that, that's over me. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to get nicked. See, that's the thing. 
It's very interesting. David doesn't say, God, you, you take me out of the battle. You take me out of conflict. No, that's not what it says. It says, while I'm in the midst of it. I'm in the midst of this battle. I'm in the midst. There's arrows and rocks and hot oil all around me. There's, there's all of that. I'm outnumbered. I'm over. I'm just, I just don't know. And, and God, David says, I am. You cover me with your shield. You cover me. You know, it's interesting. What did Jesus say? He says, I don't pray, Father, that you take them out of the world. But through them, you will help them to minister to the world. Jesus uh, Jesus didn't take us out of the world. He kept us into the world. But he said, I will be with you in the world. I'll be a shield about you. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't get nicked. And here's here's where we struggle. Because we think that because we are followers of Jesus Christ, that we're never going to struggle, that we're never going to have conflict, that we're never going to get nicked in the battle, that we're never going to have trials and troubles. And that's not what I read in the Bible. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. You're going to get nicked. That's what he's saying. You're not on a golf course, you know, hanging out. You're in the middle of a highway, and there's speeding cars all around, and you're going to get nicked. You're going to go to the doctor, and you're going to say, your health is not doing well. You're going to have relationships where people are going to say, I don't like you. In fact, I hate you. You're going to have struggles. You're going to get nicked. That's part of the world. You're going to have you're going to get nicked. And what does God do? The good news is this, that even when you get nicked in the midst of the battle, you won't get killed, you won't get you know, overwhelmed because God has a shield around you, but you might get nicked. And what is God using those nicks to? He's to wake you up. To wake you up. To get your attention. I mean, that's true, right? If, if you were to go in and see the doctor this week, and the doctor says, you know, it's just general, general uh, physical that, that you're going through. But you know what? I see something. I'm concerned. I'm going to send you to a specialist. You just got nicked. What happens in your life at that moment? You go, God, what are you doing? I just got nicked. God says, yeah, I know. Let's wake up. Who's in charge? Who's in control? I'm not, I was aware of this. You see, this is what he's saying. And David is in the middle of it. In other words, God allows you to get dinged. He allows you to get nicked to wake you up. And, and, and David was getting dinged because of some poor choices that he made as a parent. But the good news in all of that was that in the midst of this, God was going to help him. God was going to be there with him. God was going to walk with him. God was going to carry him if need be. So, so, so... Let's understand what what David is saying here. David is saying very clearly, he says, you're a shield around me. That doesn't mean I won't get nicked. I won't get dinged. But but you'll be there. And you have a plan and you have a purpose. And sometimes when I get dinged, you can turn it around for good. Sometimes when I get dinged, you're you're doing it to, to wake me up. To get my attention. And then David says a third thing in there in that psalm. He says, you are my glory. You are my glory. Now, what does he mean by that? He says, you are my glory, the lifter of my head. What's going on there? I think what's going on there is that David had allowed good things in his life to become God things. We, we do that, don't we? Don't we allow good things, our family, our job, you know, our house, just different things that we have going on in our lives, our health, 
We let good things become God things. Um, and David was allowing good things to become his glory. You know what you glory in? The things that you worry about the most. When they're threatened, when you're about ready to lose them, that's what you're glorying, right? If you say, you know, uh, I glory in my job. Well, if you lose your job, you're going to be a mess. You go, I glory in my kids. Well, if your kids are struggling, you're going to be a mess. I glory in, you know, my health. <laughs> well, when your health is threatened, you're going to be a mess, right? That's, and, and David is saying, you are my glory. I, I've allowed other things to be my glory, to be my it. And, and, so, so what happens? Look at David. He was one of the most power, uh, power, popular and powerful rulers. Now he's on the run. And his people are even questioning whether, you know, are you a bum? God can't be with you. He, he, he was a father, but he wasn't a good one, obviously. Because now his, his fatherhood is kind of in the trash because his own son is trying to kill him. He was a moral person. No, he wasn't. Look at his life. The prophet Nathan had to come to him, tell him a parable, because I think he was, there was a fear that David would kill him if he just told him the truth right off flat out. But finally, David, he tells him this parable about this, this sin with Bathsheba and about killing her husband. And, and, and finally, he points his finger, you know, David's judging this story about this man and the lambs. And he says, that man doing that should die. And then Nathan says, well, you're the guy. What did David learn at that moment? I'm a mess. I'm immoral. I'm a murderer. I'm an adulterer. See, David lost everything. His life was turned upside down. He was outnumbered. Everyone was seemingly against him. David had come to replace his glory with the glory of God. He came and understood that I've replaced the glory of God with my glory. So instead of finding glory in people, pursuits, and things around me, I need to find my glory in Jesus. Now David came to understand that he had the most important person in his corner. And that's why he says, I found my glory in you. I found my glory in you. He found his purpose, his love, his acceptance in God. And then the one last statement that he, David makes he answers me, David said, he answers me from his holy mountain. What do you do when it seems like everyone is against you, when you're outnumbered, when you're over, you just, you, I don't know what to do here. I just, I'm outnumbered. Everyone seems to be against me. You look to the one who's always been in your corner. Who will never leave you. You see, that's what Jesus says. I will never leave you. I'm always, you know, in the midst of the battle, look to the corner because I'm there. I'm in your corner. Look to the one who is outnumbered for you. Do you remember when Jesus and Lenny pointed that out? Lenny led worship, did a great job this, this weekend here. Uh, he said, talked about Good Friday. He talked about Jesus hanging on the cross. You talk about being outnumbered? Even the two thieves on the, each side of them were 
mocking him out. The only people down there, and they were silent, probably out of fear, were his mother and some of her friends. Absolutely outnumbered. He was outnumbered for you. And David says, I look to his holy mountain. Calvary was a mountain. David knew that on the mountains, in Calvary and these other places, were places where you would offer sacrifices to God. So we look to Calvary. We look to the cross. The one, we look to the one who died so that we could live, who took our punishment, who truly was left for dead for you. We look to the substitute who took our place. He fought the battle for you and for me and won. And that's the point. Easter Sunday is the victory lap. <laughs> what Jesus was doing there is saying, the victory's over. The victory's here. I am the victory. I have beaten sin and death. Death cannot keep me. Nothing can really hurt me because, and this is what we have to take from this, no matter how outnumbered I feel, no matter how I feel like everyone's against me, I need to remember that there is one person in the universe who will never reject me, who will always love me. And it's not based upon that I'm a good person because David wasn't a good person in a lot of ways, right? We just looked at it. And he was a man after God's own heart. So perfection is out, right? Because none of us can reach it. And none of us are. And David wasn't. So it can't be perfection. And, and, and what we're seeing here is David goes and says, I look to God. I look to his holy mount. Because there is one person, the most important person in the universe, who though everyone in the world may be against me, he's not. You know, uh, it's interesting. We don't have time to go into it. But in uh, Genesis chapter 15, God made a promise in Genesis 12 to Abraham. His name was Abram then, but he basically said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed by you. You're going to have more children than you can count. And at some point, Abraham kind of wondered whether God was going to come through with his promises. And this is what God says to him. I'll just read this verse to you. This is Genesis 15.1. The word of the Lord came to Abram, Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. It's the same word that David's using in Psalm 3. I am your shield. I will take care of you. I will protect you. And I will reward you. In other words... I'm in your corner. I'm on your side. I will keep my promise. So, when you're outnumbered and you feel like everyone's against you, do a recount because you're not counting the most important one. Right? This is what... uh, I'm going to close with one verse. This is from Romans chapter 8. Paul says this. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, 
won't he also give us everything else? And the answer Paul expected was, absolutely, of course, he will. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, I do not know where the people in this room, at this campus, or Roshek, or watching online are, but I do know this, that if we feel we're outnumbered, we need to do a recount, because your word tells us that you'll never leave us. Yeah, we'll get dinged, we'll get nicked, but thank you, Father, that you'll never leave us, that you're always in our corner, that you're always for us, that it's not based upon our performance, but it's based upon what Jesus did on our behalf. May we find our hope in you. May our glory be in you. Help us, Father, because we desperately need your help. I pray for those in this audience and hearing this message that wherever they're at, whatever their struggle, maybe they feel like the whole world is against them. Father, help them to do a recount. Help them to look in your holy mountain and see Jesus, the one who is truly abandoned, the one who is truly left alone, the one who is truly outnumbered, who took our place and three days later rose again, the one who makes the promise, I will never leave you, May we find our glory and our hope in him. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.